This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Hello, hockey fans. I'm Paul Bruno here with Andrew Fiorentino, and we are the Great Ones. Today is November 3rd, and on this show, we're going to take a look at what's going on in the latest round of news and roster juggling that will affect you and your fantasy teams. Andrew, I have to say that I'm shocked at the poor start of the Anaheim Ducks. Their big guns are misfiring, and the whole team is in disarray. Right now, Ryan Getzlaff's even out of the lineup. Do you think they can snap out of this, or does Coach Bruce Boudreau walk the plank soon? I mean, Boudreaux could be the one who ends up suffering here, but remember when we talked in our in our season preview about uh, the Ducks at left wing not having really any answers to playing to you know who's going to play with Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff on the top line, and, and Perry and Getzlaff haven't been able to do it on their own. Uh, Carl Hagelin, uh, Yuri Sekach, Andrew Cogliano, Patrick Maroon, none of those guys have stepped up. You know, you have to think that the Ducks have to uh, have to make a trade here, have to mix it up. Firing the coach is one thing, but I think that they need a change in personnel. And it may come to that, but at this stage in the season, Andrew, it's going to be hard to see, uh, difficult for teams to make roster trades like that because they set their lineups and they got under the cap. A lot of these teams are snug up against the top end of it. Anaheim is probably one of those teams that's got a cap issue or two on their roster. So it's going to be interesting to see how they wriggle out of it. The fact that Ryan Getzloff is uh, out of the lineup now with an appendix issue further put things in a murky situation there and uh, you have to think that there's enough talent particularly on that blue line that this team should snap out of it there's just way too much talent that they wallow like this for much longer i i think that there's got to be a turnaround in their fortunes that might might avoid them having to make that roster move that you're speaking of so time yeah it's not going to it's not going to be like this 
all the time. No, and but, and the other thing, Andrew, is worth noting from the Toronto uh, Leaf perspective. I'll throw that this in that it's been hotly rumored that Randy Carlyle is waiting in the wings for a second tour of duty, possibly in Anaheim. And if that should come to pass, Leaf fans will be jumping for joy because that would mean some compensation coming their way in the form of an, an additional second round pick in terms of compensation. And we're headed to a situation where the Leafs are trying to accumulate draft picks and uh, this would be a nice addition to the, the coffers in, uh, in Toronto. So the Leaf fans will be watching that uh, situation to see how it might unfold. Yeah, yeah I knew you, got, you Canadians love hockey and all that, but dancing for joy in the streets at acquiring a second round draft pick is a new level, an entirely uh, new height of hockey fandom. Well, you know what? The way Anaheim is playing right now, uh, it could be a lower half of the second round. So that might be a pick in the 30 to 45 range. And again, there's some cachet in getting second round picks. That seems to be a valuable trading chip uh, in most future consideration kind of situations that uh, teams look at around the league. So that's where the excitement comes in. You like to see more picks than rounds in the early going for teams that are trying to turn their fortunes around. That's why I'm going to try and put a Toronto angle on as many of the things that, as I can <laughs> for our show for the benefit of Eastern listeners here. Absolutely. And, and you know what they say, uh, there's nothing that's better than a second round pick except the first round pick. That's right. You only got one round to go up, up the ladder. And speaking of first rounders, Darnell Nurse, this guy comes up to Edmonton and he scores a goal in his NHL debut, and he's been a regular fixture on that blue line, getting top four minutes, playing about 20 minutes a game, Andrew, and looking like the real deal. Finally, the Oilers have added somebody on their defense through the draft that looks like he's going to make the grade. We know they have a ton of offensive pieces that are also starting to gel, and this might be a first-round pick that really pays big dividends, a rare jewel that the Oilers have found on the blue line, how high is this guy's ceiling in your estimation? I mean, I think that the ceiling with Nurse is is incredibly high to the point, you know, where he, he could be he could become one of the top few, you know, blue liners in the NHL. Do I think that it's going to happen right away? Do I think that he's arrived as that right now? Not really. Uh, I think that there's there's certainly still room for his game to grow. Uh, he still only put three shots on goal in three games. You know, it's not like he's coming in and started tearing it up from day one. He's not seeing power play time yet. So I think the the Wheelers are doing a good job here. They're letting him grow into it. Uh, they're giving him big minutes, but also kind of uh, dialing it back a little by keeping him off the man advantage right now. And I think he's going to come along really nicely for them. And Andrew, that makes me think of something that I heard on one of the local talk shows here in Toronto about the number of young players that are making the grade right out of junior, right out of their first draft. We're seeing a pile of guys come into the NHL in the last couple of years. <laughs> and, and Little dog bark in the background there. Yeah. It's all right. We can own it. <laughs> That's Rocky the Wonder Dog chiming in with his opinion. Um, so I've, I've looked around the NHL. There's people that are making the grade even out of this particular rookie class in Vancouver. they got a couple of guys making the grade. Uh, we certainly have Max Domi that we can talk about in the desert, Anthony Duclair. Do you think these guys are being rushed as 18-year-olds? What would you do if you were managing a team with a guy like an 18-year-old player, like an, an, uh, in the case of uh, an Aaron Ekblad last year was a no-brainer, 
but there's a number of guys out there, 18, 19, 20, that are getting their first taste of hockey, pro hockey at the NHL level. I kind of think I'd like to wait and see these guys get acclimatized in the American Hockey League. To me, that's what that league is there for. And you're kind of throwing these guys into the, to the wolves by getting them out of junior and into the NHL right away. I just think that there's a way that they can learn and get acclimatized to the program in the AHL. Yeah, I think that there's a, I mean, obviously a need for development, and, and a lot more guys seem to be coming up straight from juniors. But even so, uh, it really are in a golden era, I think, right now in the NHL. There's just, the landscape is littered with young star players, and I, I think it's a shame that the league isn't more popular, you know? Especially in America. Obviously, in Canada, you guys, you guys love it, it's great. But, you know, in America, it's a little touch and go. Uh, you know, the the further south you get, the the less uh, likely it is that anyone's even heard of uh, any given NHL player. I just think that the the league has to do a better job at capitalizing on on these you know extremely exciting young players. Every team has one. And and the other thing, further to your comment though, is maybe Americans have to look away and realize what percentage of players come from international locales other than Canada. Right now in the NHL, as we speak more than 50% of the players don't come with a Canadian birth certificate. That's a first in the history of this hockey league. So I think that it's morphing in terms of the makeup of the rosters into something of a more international scope. And we're about a year away from the World Cup of Hockey in its newest incarnation next year, which will be hosted in Toronto at the Air Canada Centre. And uh, I think the NHL needs to do, I agree with you, a better job of trumpeting the fact that this is truly a world game, a world-class game, and players are coming from all four corners of the globe to make their mark in the best league in the world. And uh, I, I repeat what I always say. This is a unique sport. It combines two sets of skills. Can you imagine, imagine playing basketball on roller, roller skates? That's the equivalent of hockey on ice. You've got the ability to skate, which is one set of skills. You've got the opportunity to play a game called hockey, which you can play on the road, even on grass they play field hockey, and that's got its unique set of skills. So you got two sets of skills combining into one sport. It's a dynamic game, and it's the fastest game on earth. When you see these guys fly, gliding around as quickly as they can, shots being fired about 100 miles an hour, that's my commercial for hockey in Canada and in the world. It's a great game, the greatest one that I've ever seen, and I'm a fan of all sports, all seasons, so that's my commercial for hockey fans out there. Well, if there's anyone who would know the greatest one, it's the great ones. <laughs> and uh, one of the great ones, a great segue. You're feeding me some good ones here today. Carey Price, out with a lower body injury. This guy is unquestionably the number one goalie in the NHL. Even better than your Henrik Lundqvist, I would say, right now. But he's sidelined with a lower body injury, and that affords them in Montreal to look at two of their goalies that are in the pipeline. Both these guys last year and this year have shown their wares. Mike Condon has been a, a bit of a surprise in terms of getting the nod over Dustin Tokarski. If this is a long-term situation, the Habs be concerned. But in the short term, I don't think so. But give us your slant on, on what's going on in Montreal. 10-2 and two start and Carey Price out of the lineup. What else are you looking at there? Well, yeah, and this might be sacrilegious comment. Uh, I'll just point out on the aside before I get there, though, that Henrik Lundqvist is a better goals against average and save percentage than Carey Price. Uh, just, just, just saying, just saying. You're allowed to beat your chest. He's had a good start to his season. <laughs> yes, he had a good start. But you know, kind of says something about this Canadians team that 
Price is out, uh, Condon is in, and they don't skip a beat. Uh, you know, he's putting up even better numbers than Price, you know, has put up so far, uh, which almost is something to, to take away something from Price uh, and that the, the defense is just playing that well. Yeah, and one of those defensemen, Jeff Petrie, is a guy that is being picked up in more and more uh, fantasy leagues out there, I note, and I'm one of the guys that grabbed him. This guy, uh, Andrew, is playing top four minutes with uh, Emelin as his partner in a pretty interesting combination. Emelin is handling the defensive side of the puck. Petrie is allowed to get involved in the offensive side of the game, and he's in the rotation for power play time on a pretty dynamic Montreal uh, attack when they have the man advantage. So there's a guy that can pay dividends. He's also locked up with the Habs on a multi-year deal for $5-plus million, so you know they have a lot of faith in him and they want to see him do well. This is a guy who could put, put up a mitt full of numbers, uh, maybe a surprise contributor to fantasy leagues around the world uh, who are paying attention to these comments that people like you are making. <laughs> I don't know. You and I were trashing the Petrie contract in the preseason. And, I mean, I, I don't think the guy's a star or any means. He's been a, a solid addition to their to their blue line. I think there's no arguing that. But He's still, to me, not really much of a, a fantasy factor. You know, five points in 13 games, uh, he factors in on the back end there. You know, three of those points, uh, all in the form of assists in the last two games. And it does help that he's seeing some power play time. But I'm just not a big believer in Petrie's offensive game. Career high of 25 points coming into this year. Maybe he exceeds that, but do you see him really going beyond, like, 30, 32? Well, I think they're positioning him to be a first-line pairing eventually with P.K. Subban. And that's because I don't think Andre Markov can do this. He's got to get old sometime. He's right? gonna. He can't do this forever. So I think part of the reason why they signed this guy with the offensive upside that he may have is with that forward look. And and that's why if you got a chance to maybe put this guy in a keeper situation, maybe a stash him below your line in reserve if you can, uh, hold over and see what develops in Montreal. But that's where I'm forecasting him to be a first pairing guy with uh, the benefit of playing with P.K. Subban, and we don't have to sell anybody, anybody on what he can do. So, Absolutely. And uh, with that, we move over to uh, another reference that relates to Toronto, and that's uh, Phil Kessel. He came home to play against the Leafs on Saturday night. I was in attendance, and uh, interesting to note, Andrew, they moved him off the Crosby line a while ago, and he's playing with, with uh, Evgeny Malkin. Now, two things. Kessel and Malkin... To me, I think they both are finishers with the puck. Malkin can certainly dangle with the best of them and maybe is a more puck-control guy of, of the two, and Kessel will have to learn to just wait off the puck to get his plays going. But the other part of this equation, and where there's a real concern starting to creep into the uh, NHL uh, tall foreheads, Sidney Crosby. One goal, four assists this deep into the season. I mean, he's nowhere near the top scorers in the NHL, and he didn't get a shot on goal against a lowly Maple Leaf team on Saturday. Are you concerned about what you've seen there, or do you think this guy's going flick to the, flick the switch and get going soon? Yeah, no shots in that game for Crosby. Only one shot in that game for Kessel, Correct. who, for a guy with 42 career game-winning goals, really has a knack for not rising to the moment. And he didn't get well-received. They didn't do a, a video montage to welcome him home. It was an issue that Lou Lamorello said, we're not honoring players that have left this place. We want to talk about the players that are here. And that was the rationale. Things are being done Lou's way in Toronto. And uh, there was some noise about Phil not getting a nod from the fans. In fact, they booed him every time he touched the puck. <laughs> He's going to get his 40 goals, though. This team is too good, too talented up front. I mean, they put a five-man unit up on a... They had a five-minute five power play, didn't score a goal, but I looked at the guys on the ice and just 
ridiculous the talent that they can throw out there. Patrick Hornquist, yeah, Patrick Hornquist, and and Pascal Dupuis looked like a good mix on uh, Crosby's wings. Dupuis, particularly, the defensive conscience there. He's had great success being uh, Crosby's left winger, and I look for that combination to to get uh, a fire under them before too long. I'm one of these guys that's not concerned about Sid the Kid uh, over the long haul of this season and I think that by the end of the season he'll be there among the scoring leaders. So if there's anybody in my pool that wants to get rid of a guy like a Sidney Crosby, I'm all over that transaction. Andrew, what do you think? I'm with you. Uh, you know, you look at Crosby's shooting percentage, obviously your shooting percentage is always going to look pretty ugly when you've only got one goal mm-hmm. in 11 games. Yeah. But 3.3%, one goal on 30 shots very uh, un- uncharacteristic for Crosby, uh, probably indicative of a little, little touch of bad luck, a uh, little touch of uh, chemistry maybe not being all the way back yet, uh, you know, with, uh, n- you know, now that he's with uh, Dupuis and Hornquist, that's a, you know, a whole new trio that needs to form its own chemistry. Uh, and I think Sidney Crosby is going to be all right. Uh, but this could be the year. This could be the year that he finishes just short, just short of a point per game. And that would be a departure from the career norms for sure. But you think that this guy's got to be looking at the World Cup of Hockey on the horizon and he wants to show his best because we know he's going to be on the team. But he wants to maintain that front-line role that he's had in the last couple of rounds uh, of the international tournament. So that should be motivation for him to get to the top of his game quickly. Now, over in Buffalo, this is a team that made a lot of moves in the offseason. We covered them all off. They, they picked up some dynamic offensive pieces. They, re- uh, they made a commitment to Robin Leonard in goal to be the goalie of the future. He's down and out with an injury. But most recently, Evander Kane joined him on the injured list with an MCL that's going to keep him out four to six weeks. First of all, we got to wonder who's going to move up to take his minutes in the top six in Buffalo. But also, does this mean that Buffalo's going to have another year where they're among the dregs of the NHL? Because I thought they were looking like a team that had a lot of upward mobility and might make it to the middle of the pack. This may be a blessing in disguise for this team, Andrew, in terms of finishing low enough to get another top draft piece to, to go with the players that they've added most recently, including Jack Eichel. So what do you see in Buffalo? Uh, should p- feel, people feel down in the dumps about what's happened, or should they embrace the fact that this might be an opportunity to add another couple of nice parts? You know, I guess we shouldn't be surprised, right, that Evander Kane is hurt again. The guy gets hurt every year, like pretty much like clockwork. The only year that he hasn't been hurt in his career, really, was the uh, the lockout shortened season. He played the full 48 that year. Other than that, he's always missed time. Only played 37 games last year, 63 the year before. It's something that's always going to be, I think, a concern for the for the Sabers and for Evander Kane uh, that he tends to get injured, and the depth is not there. I think this is going to be a bad team. Obviously, Liner still out uncertain quite when he's going to return. It's a pretty big sort of opening in that timeline. It's probably somewhere anywhere between two weeks to a month and a half, maybe more. At so, least for now. At least for now. I mean, yeah. Chad Johnson's going to get the lion's share of the load. If you picked him as a reserve goalie, that could get you a few more wins, but the goals against average just won't be there in that circumstance. So, Linus Olmark has played well, uh, won a couple of games in a row, only giving up one goal there, too. Uh, he's probably going to take, I mean, he's got a, as legit a chance uh, as any you know goalie in the league to overtake starters' minutes right now, I think, in Leonard's absence. Uh, the, the the Sabres clearly like Johnson as a backup, and so if Olmark, he is 22 years old, uh, you know, just a rookie, but three really good starts so far, well, two of them were really good, and he's probably going to be the starter uh, this Thursday against Tampa Bay. 
Well, that could be a tough spot for him. Tampa Bay is a team that we expected to be among the tops in the NHL. Another team that's having injury trouble is over in St. Louis, Andrew. Uh, Paul Stastny looked to have this be a rebound-type season. He's nursing a broken foot out for another four weeks. Jaden Schwartz joined him with a broken ankle in practice, of all things. He's out for up to three months. And I've seen already David Backus shake early season doldrums to take up a spot in the top six. He had a big game a couple of days ago, scoring a couple of goals, including an overtime winner. Maybe he's a guy to look for to fill in in the top six, but they've got some depth there, and they can call upon some people like uh, Steen and Laterra to pick up some of the scoring slack. Tarasenko is obviously obviously a stud. Are you worried about the short term for St. Louis with these two guys missing, or do they, you think, like I do, that they have enough depth to overcome these injuries? They have a lot of depth to get through it. I'm much more worried about my own fantasy team where I own Gene Schwartz. Uh, <laughs> that's a crippling bro- blow to take. Uh, to lose a guy like that, especially when my team hasn't been doing that well in the first place. <laughs> well, I, I've got to tout my team, and one of the reasons why I can tout it is because I've been grabbing goalies all over the place, and one of them, Kari Ramo, is a guy that I was uh, I was alarmed when they sent him down because he played very well in the exhibitions, started 0-3 and had a, a goals against over 4, but now with Hiller injured and Ortio an, uh, called up most recently... Ramo got another chance to play, and he won his last start. So maybe that he gets a second chance. And the reason why I think Calgary's going to take a long look at him is as much to see what they can get out of him, but also to showcase him because he's got a big ticket on a contract that expires this year. And they want him to show well or Hiller to show well when he gets back because they got to keep one of these guys, and the other guy's probably going to be shipped out in a trade. But it's a goalie carousel in Calgary. Who are you buying, if if any, uh, Ortio, Ramo, and Hiller? Who you, who would you put your money on? Oh, I don't like any of those guys, to be honest. Uh, if I'm going to take any of them, I think it's going to be you know the healthy Hiller when he you know when he is healthy. Uh, Ortio and Ramo, I think, are just bad. <laughs> I just don't think that either of them is very good. <laughs> We've also got another injury to talk about. Barkov, a center with the Florida Panthers, broke a bone in his hand. He's out two to four weeks. And Yarmir Yager has a suspected hamstring issue, as well as a not-too-suspected mullet situation going on. Florida, a team that is starting to play a little bit better than a lot of people thought they might. So uh, what do you think is going on in, in uh, the sunny south there? Yeah, Yager's missed a couple games in a row, but they are expecting him to come back Wednesday. You figure as a you know, the resident old man, he's going he's gonna to miss some, some games now and again. He's going to have some issues. He is 43 years old. Uh, but it hasn't kept him away from the uh, the 18 year old Czech models. That's for sure. That's right. But they've got a lot of talented guys on the team. I'm waiting for a few of them. Aaron Ekblad has not delivered so far this season to the point that I thought he might. I'm holding on to him in the hopes that he he gets fired up. But he's a long term hold. You'd have to agree, wouldn't you? Yeah, Ekblad is a guy who I kind of had a funny feeling that he was going to have a little bit of a sophomore slump. I still think he's going to be good because he just can't help it. He's just a really good player, but he's not going to, I think, he might fall a little bit short of matching last year's point totals, maybe end up in the low 30s, but ultimately has the upside, I think, to be you know, well beyond that. Yeah. Now, your old pal, John Tortorella, you must have some a great highlight, really, if you've taped some of the local shows from your New York connections with the Rangers. Sounds <laughs> like you're holding in a sneeze there. Yeah. He, uh, he, oversee- let it roll. he oversees the Columbus <laughs> Blue Jackets right now. And uh, 
do you think he can shape the shake this team up? I I was really excited about this team at the beginning of the season, but they really have haven't shown very well. They've got oh, and the NHL's worst record right now, and I'm starting to believe that this might be the real Columbus Blue Jackets. Well, yeah, I mean they're they're not a defensively responsible team, but they have been they've been a little bit better lately. They've been in you know all in close games. They've been playing a ton of close games lately. Uh, four of their last five games decided by only one goal. Um, the one, the other one that was decided by two goals was actually a win over the Devils. So, yeah, I mean Tortorella, he's what he is. He's a <laughs> entertaining but not necessarily amazing coach who's very hard on his players, which is an act that tends to wear thin. Uh, with you know, depending on the group, but uh, it's it could be working worse right now. I guess uh, it's it's a tepid endorsement. I know, but. The, the jackets were in a, a pretty bad situation here and i don't i don't think they can go outside and spend more money this team is a team that doesn't have unlimited financial resources they made that deal you recall last year with the leafs that uh, basically caused them to take david clarkson back and he's been a no-show on their roster where they got rid of uh, nathan horton who the leafs could hide on their roster so it was a swap of five million dollar a year cap hits but uh, no real value at either end of that equation so uh, I think Columbus is the big disappointment to me they may in fact be this bad all year long and maybe in the running for the the top draft pick out there but uh, I want to turn back to Calgary for a second because it's important to note that TJ Brody is back in their defensive uh, lineup and he's back to his old job I was thinking that maybe Dougie Hamilton might take his place in the top pairing with Mark Giordano but TJ Brody's back playing over 25 minutes a game alongside Giordano he didn't get any power play time his first time out but I think it's a matter of time before he gets back into that rotation they have a wealth of players on this blue line and I think maybe late in the season you might see one of them moved uh, to help some of the offensive depth but in the meantime you got to drool when you look at the top four uh, defensemen in, in Calgary I mean they've got five defensemen really that are as good as you could ask for and yet they're giving up goals like it's going out of style but, you know, that's certainly more on the goaltenders. But even so, the blue line has been kind of kind of in disarray. They haven't really gotten going in the way that you're looking for, you know, that they established last year. We haven't seen that outburst of defensive scoring that the Flames of 2014-15 were really known for. Right. And that brings us to uh, one more point that I want to cover here. The Boston Bruins. This is a team that I thought would take a step backwards, but the one-two punch at center is delivering the goods, and uh, a few other players of note are helping them out. Are you surprised with what you've seen out of the Bruins? I guess it's, it's kind of a, a lesson to us all to maybe not overrate the things that we see in the first week of the season. Bruins have uh, have overcome. You know, they had those two games without Chara. The defense looked horrible. They've gotten Chara back, and it's been better. Uh, they're they're six three and one to, to open the season now, and they're firmly not in the cellar. That's right. There's a lot more teams below them, and I think they haven't lost a road game yet. Well, and, the and they're the only team in the NHL that and, hasn't lost a road game. And they have the league's best power play of, of note, and and the guy that's anchoring that power play is Tori Krug. We got to give him a nod as one of the emerging top uh, puck moving defensemen, and he's the linchpin on that uh, that power play that's hitting at over 35 percent. Now, no power play is going to go through the season at that rate, but you got to like what you see from a guy who's picked up eight assists in his 11 games played, and is anchoring that blue line right now, and he's going to continue to get big minutes because I don't think they want Chara 
to play 30 minutes a game. He's 38 years old. They've got to find ways to cut back. And when they've got a guy like this who can run the power play, that may be an opportunity to afford to back away on Chara's minutes. That'll take a, He'll take a hit in terms of his offensive totals, but he means so much to this team in his own defensive end, and I think that's where he's going to be of great value going, to this, going forward. And from we, talking about one of the oldest kids in the, guys in the NHL, we talk about one of the youngest kids who bucked the trend in Detroit. Now, Andrew, I'm going to give you credit here. You called this one Dylan Larkin. He's going to stay on the Wings roster for the whole season. It's the first time in eons that a Detroit player has been drafted, and this comes straight into this lineup. How good can this guy be? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, right when they bring him in, say, okay, kid, you're staying, he has a three-game uh, scoreless streak, <laughs> which he, he then broke up on Saturday by scoring a goal. I think he was celebrating a little bit. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little possibility there. He's then, not old enough to drink yet, so he hasn't, he has, he's not allowed to celebrate either. And then there was an interesting note along the wires this morning about John Tavares out with a mysterious illness. This is kind of in that undisclosed category. At first it was being described as a flu, but he's missed three games, and he expects to miss at least one or two more. This could be, some people are saying this could be a little more serious than it looks, if it is. Island, the Islanders' offense takes a big hit. Certainly his front-line wingers take a big hit. Are you worried about this situation? Yeah, there's no replacing John Tavares in the top line for the Islanders, but he is still skating. Uh, I don't think that he's involved in any kind of extremely serious injury, uh, certainly a little bit more than a case of food poisoning. Uh, you just hope that it's not one of those things that, like, uh, like the, the mumps last year uh, going around the league. Exactly. Now, I want to turn my attention and yours to the top scorers in the NHL for a moment. A couple of names surprised to a certain degree, but I want to talk about Kyle Touris in Ottawa first, uh, Andrew. This is a guy who I followed very closely in his junior career and at the World Junior Championships. He had a couple of dynamic uh, displays of his overall skill at the World Junior Championships, particularly in one memorable shootout when, I don't know if you recall, but in the international play, you can repeat shooters every second time uh, through the rotation. So oh, yes. he, could, he could go first, third, fifth. They used him three times in a shootout. He scored each time in a Canadian victory and was World Junior Player, Canadian World Junior Player of the Year in his last year in the uh, in the juniors. And he's finally looking like that offensive gem. Late last season and early this season, 12 points in 11 games. I think he's the real deal. And he's got a situation in, in Ottawa where he's getting first-line minutes and now and banking a lot of great results. Yeah, I'm right with you there. Uh, you know, the, my first exposure to Kyle Turris, uh, I, when, I, when he was playing in juniors, which is uh, some uh, already going back probably almost 10 years. Yeah. Wow, time does fly. It does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that when I first got Kyle Turris, or when I first heard his name, it was in... I think it was NHL 2K6, the video game, <laughs> where I traded for him and because he had a uh, A-plus potential. And that has proven, that game has proven to have quite a lot of foresight because Kyle Turris, obviously the number three overall pick in 2007, certainly has delivered on his potential and I think he's going to have a better year this year even than he had last year. He's going to clear 70 points with no problem. Uh, yeah, he's the real deal. 
What about a guy who's a little longer in the tooth over in New Jersey? We, uh, you know, I told uh, our listeners that there's some teams that, for fantasy purposes, I'd put a big X through, and the Devils were one of those clubs, and I needed to see somebody emerge from that pack to be a guy that I could trust. And if there's one guy on this roster that I think I can trust to be a regular contributor, it's Camilleri. 11 points in 11 games. This guy's 35 years old, but all he's done wherever he's been is score, score, score. He's playing over 20 minutes a game. I think he can keep it up, and I think he makes good sense for the Devils to look around and trade later on in the year for some younger assets. I think he could fetch a pretty good return, Andrew, and I wonder if in fantasy he has any value in your eyes more than he did at the start of the season as well. Yeah, Camilleri can score goals. He does have 11 points in 11 games, which I don't think any of us could have possibly seen coming. But I'm not that optimistic. I mean, you're talking about a guy hasn't exceeded 45 points since 2010-2011. Uh, he is uh, 33 years old, uh, playing on a Devils team that, you have to say, that top line is overachieving right now. Uh, probably doing a little bit more than you would expect to see out of the trio of Michael Camilleri, Adam Henrique, and Lee Stempniak. If the cream rises to the top, well, whatever is in the middle ends up falling back to the middle. Well, and, <laughs> and here's a young guy that, that I think a lot of people still have to figure out. In Edmonton, certainly Connor McDavid has been the show, and he's dragged along Niall Yakupov in the wake of his success. Yakupov has 10 points in 10 games. Can he keep it up and show that he's finally looking like the first overall pick in his draft year and is a keeper now at Edmonton? Should he be a keeper in fantasy leagues? Yeah, we're gonna, definitely going to give McDavid some credit for Nile Yakupov emerging here. But he has been playing very, very well in his own right, even without you know the the influence of Connor McDavid. Nile Yakupov was a number one overall pick did disappoint horribly, especially the last couple of years, but he is still an, an A-plus talent. And he's shown it now that he has you know, a, a situation where he can contribute with you know, another star player alongside him. Well, and there's another guy at the top of the standings, scoring stats, who's got a star player playing beside him. I don't think anybody would have picked Jamie Benn to repeat as the Art Ross Trophy winner, but here we are in the early days of November, one month into the season, Ben is at the top of the standings with 18 points in 12 games. Did you see this coming, and is it sustainable? Yeah, he's leading in goals and points. Uh, why not, right? I mean, the guy does have the trophy to show that he can do this, and he does have you know 87 points last year, 79 points the year before. Do I think he's going to keep up a point and a half per game? No, I don't think he's going to go out there and score 120 points. <laughs> Uh, but it's not impossible to think that Jamie Benn, uh, playing with Tyler Sagan in a great situation there with a great uh, offensive top defenseman and John Klingberg behind them, uh, I think that there's a very reasonable possibility he could clear 90 for the first time in his career. Well, there's our fantasy fly around around the NHL. Andrew, I want to get to the stud of the week and the rant of the week. That's my favorite part of every show that we do. And I want to open up with a discussion of the guy that, that caught my eye again in two marquee matchups last week. Jonathan Taves delivered the good, goods against teams that the Hawks eliminated on their way to their third Stanley Cup in the last six years with OT winners against Tampa and Anaheim. If you look at his career stats, this guy's never been a point-per-game player, though he's not been far off, 
and he's evolved into the best leader in the NHL with a penchant for making the big play at the key moment in crunch time. He did that twice in back-to-back games on home ice against these teams. It's a big reason why he's earned so much success in his career, despite the fact that he hasn't got the personal trophies. He's been a winner. He's been a leader. He showed his medal once again with these game-winning plays to earn my accolade against top opposition this past week. The guy is a flat-out winner, Andrew. I don't think there can be any doubt. I call this guy Captain Clutch, the modern-era version of Mark Messier, if you will. Yeah, I mean, what can you say? He is 27 years old, and he's been a captain of three Stanley Cup winners. There it is, right? I don't think this guy needs to do anything more to make the Hall of Fame. It's a remarkable start to his career, and he's got 10 more years in him for sure. So I look for uh, more accolades to come his way, perhaps on the international stage as well. I mean, he's also been a part of Canadian success internationally, but uh, the story's not written on him. But when it is, it's going to be as lengthy a list of, uh, of team and individual awards as anybody in recent memory. I think the guy is that good, and his all-around persona is is something that is very admirable. Kids everywhere can look up to this guy as a true hockey hero, and, and there's no finer compliment in the hockey world that I can come up with than that. Mark Messier, is that a good comp? Well, I think it is, because Mark Messier was a guy who was noted as a top team leader in two separate environments where he won cups. He was certainly a captain in Vancouver, but they didn't go all the way. He was a big part of the Oilers' oh, yeah, Euler, success. Then he went to Vancouver, not so much success there. But he also played for the New York Rangers, won a cup over there with a lot of guys that were expats. You might remember that a little bit. I do seem to recall something like that going on. To snap a 54-year drought, and uh, geez, I hope my Leafs don't go that long. They're a few <laughs> years away from that. So, yes, I do think it's a fair comparison. Uh, their styles of play, not quite similar. Messier would just as soon go over you as around you. There's a little more finesse to Taves' game, and he's not the Rock'em, Sock'em type player that Messier was. But other than that, team leader, the guy who defines the chemistry that was all about Chicago's recent success, that's what Jonathan Taves is, and that's where I think the comparison is is reasonable in my estimation. All right, all right. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Good. Let's uh, let's get your rant of the week. The I want to hear I want to hear your rant now. The I rant, wanna, you know, go what, on, you really get it, really lean into this one. I uh, think you have strong feelings e- about it's, this. It's easy because I'm talking about two twerps in the NHL in the rant of the week. <laughs> Stephen Gianta and Brendan Gallagher. Two episodes where you think, okay, is it these guys on the giving end? It's one viewpoint. It's on the receiving end. It's a completely a different version. We saw Stephen Gianta last week spear Mark Borowicki. And he speared him where the sun doesn't shine. There's no place in the game for this kind of thing. Why did, we, did he spear the guy? Because he was the victim of, a, of an open ice hit from, from Borowicki. And he sought to get immediate uh, compensation, immediate revenge by turning, flipping the guy on his back, and then sticking him in the groin with his hockey stick. And then skating <laughs> away and then going to the ref saying, what did I do? He, he, <laughs> he got a slap on the wrist. And, and then you equate this with the suspension of Rafi Torres on that open ice hits us. He gets 41 games. Gianta gets a slap on the wrist for spearing this guy in the family jewels after taking a hit. No place in the game for that nonsense. And then Brendan Gallagher, this is a guy who earlier in the season, he ran at Peter Mrazek in the Detroit goal. You remember that play that turned into a goal-scoring situation because yes, Mrazek was more interested in protecting himself 
against a guy who was barreling into his net, never mind his crease, and people were saying, oh, good, aggressive play by Gallagher. Well, you know what? If you live by the sword, sometimes you die by the sword, and this guy got absolutely wallpapered by Dustin Bufflin with an open ice hit that was just the matter of a big, big man hitting a much smaller man, and the small man fell to pieces. He just blew up, okay? That's like hitting a wall when you hit Dustin Bufflin. And there are people that are calling for Bufflin's head. I think that's ridiculous. This was an open ice hit, and I didn't see any intent to injure on Bufflin's part, but people are ridiculing him for saying, how can you take such a shot and such liberties with a much smaller player? Well, you know what? That's hockey, my friends. And, and again, this is ridiculous. This guy, Gallagher, and this guy, Gianta, they get away with murder. But when they're on the receiving end, everybody's up in arms. Oh, they're such smallest players. And the big guys really shouldn't take them out like they do, like they do sometimes. Well, every once in a while, big is going to hit small, and small is going to look plenty the worse for wear. That's just what happened here. And let's drive on. They're all hockey players. They're all on the ice. You know, they're all they're all doing the same job. Uh, some of them are going to be bigger. Some of them are going to be smaller. You can't, in my view, be like, "Oh no, big guys aren't allowed to hit little guys." This is the, since when is this the rule? You want to have unwritten rules in in, in hockey? Uh, go talk to the baseball players. <laughs> you made me lose one there. <laughs> oh my! Well, we have a few. We For had those a few... who can't see Paul like I can right now. I just made Paul spit up his drink. That's it. Uh, well, and we had a few laughs to wind it up, but there was passion brought to the table at the stud and the rant of the week, and I love finishing up the show like that. Andrew, episode number seven in the books. That's a wrap for us on the great ones. Hockey, hockey broadcast variety at Rotowire. Well, let me try that again. <laughs> Let, that's a wrap for another episode of the great ones, Rotowire's Hockey Podcast. For Andrew Fiorentino, I'm Paul Bruno, thanking you for giving us a listen and inviting you to come back and catch the next episode of our show next Tuesday. So long, everybody. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-Blade Razor and Shave Gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R.